Uh, well, good morning, good afternoon, uh, good evening, wherever this finds you. I've been very fortunate with my small channel to be uh, connected with people all over the world. And in the last couple of weeks, I connected with somebody in Israel, somebody in South Africa, and even somebody in Vietnam. So uh, I, I'm honored to have that large global reach with this small channel talking about industrial real estate. So I really do uh, appreciate you tuning in. And I'm very excited uh, to introduce my guest for this show. Uh, Dr. Mark Levine is a professor at the University of Denver. He's also a lawyer. He's also a real estate broker. He's also a real estate investor. Uh, he's written over 50 books. He's written over 300 articles. Uh, his designation list is over 20 deep. And I'm going to leave a link uh, in the description to Mark's uh, biography where you can see how many designations he has. Uh, but he's uh, got his law degree. He's got a post-law uh, degree in uh, tax law, and he also has a PhD in business administration. Uh, wealth of knowledge. And what we're going to be talking about uh, on this show particularly is driverless vehicles and the impact that it's going to have on real estate. And I did a poll uh, leading up to this interview on some of the main questions that uh, that you'd like to see addressed. And we're, we're certainly going to talk about the ones uh, on how driverless vehicles will impact real estate. But one that came up resoundingly was just where the current state of driverless technology actually is. There definitely seems to be a few uh, skeptics that, that think that driverless technology is still a long way away. So uh, first, Mark, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on the call. I uh, really do appreciate your time. Well, Chad, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here with you in our virtual world. And and as I mentioned before, we got on the show here that that uh, I'll be up there in, in Canada uh, and I'm looking forward to it, uh, April, May. Uh, so it's a pleasure at least to be virtual now. And, and thanks for the kind words. Uh, yeah, what it means on designations, of course, is that I just pay a lot of dues. That's what it costs. <laughs> I Whatever. have two, I have two designations and the dues hurt every year. So I can't imagine how much 20 designations hurt. <laughs> We won't talk about it anymore. <laughs> uh, so the, the first question there, uh, in regards to where driverless technology, and, and we talked about this before as well, that, that's a label that, that people put on it. It could also be autonomous vehicles. It could also be self-driving vehicles. Uh, in general, where would you say that we're at with self-driving vehicles? And two-part question, I guess, where do you see the near future of, of driverless vehicle technology going? Well, thanks. Uh, it's a good question because if we had the time, which we don't now, I'd love to talk for a couple hours on that issue alone because it's so exciting to me in the sense that that there's such a huge transition. This is this is akin to, and I'll answer it, but this is akin to to me uh, computers. I remember. Yes, I'm older. Uh, but when I was at Northwestern University and, and they first introduced us to computers and we said, okay, fine. And we learned a little bit about it and all the headaches with it and, and, and so on. And it, it developed so fast. And now who doesn't have a computer? You know, it's, it's rare of some type. We have computers in our watches, whether it's an Apple watch or whatever. We have computers in the uh, iPad and the quote regular computers on our desktop or uh, laptops or whatever. This is, in my opinion, equal to or bigger. That is the driverless is. Now, when I say that, it's really not a new area per se, because they're computers. 
That's what we're doing. We're putting computers in vehicles we already have, and we're using the computer application there. So I think it's massive. Let me just start with that. Now, where it is and where it's going is an interesting question. I receive daily, and I mean that literally, somewhere between five to 15 articles a day, a day on driverless vehicles or studies or analyses or uh, experiments or testing or whatever it is in driverless vehicles. I mean, it's just amazing how it's exploding. Uh, so where is it? We have driverless vehicles right now. Some of you uh, listening, uh, some of us, I'm sure, have already ridden in a driverless vehicle. I remember doing that. I mean, literally, I got in and and the car, you know, they have the address in and it, it I remember doing one of these in Las Vegas. I got in the car and it and it's making turns. It's not just, you know, some straight road and takes me there. So driverless already exists. And then the next but connected question is kind of where we're going, but also kind of where we are moving to going there, such as Somebody said, well, come on. I mean, it's going to be years before we ever get there. I mean, 20 years. And funny, my, one of my favorite questions to a taxi driver is just that. I say, oh, how are you? know, we talk a little and I say, hey, are you going to be driving me in the future here? What do you mean? Uh, I heard these things about this car that does it by computer. I want to see what the taxi driver says to me. You know, oh, that's 20 years away. That's 20 years. Now, if I'm in New York City or some other cities where they're really going strong in places in, in Arizona, some in California, so a lot of testing going on, or internationally, some of them say, well, they're already here and they've hurt my business already. And, you know, medallion, the permission, the approval for driving the taxi in New York City uh, was worth a lot of money. And suddenly that value goes down because... My point before, you don't have to get the 100% you know, of driverless. T take your own business, any of us. What would you do if your business went down by 10%? Would it hurt you? Oh, yeah. How about 15? How about 20? So what I'm saying is the driverless vehicle issue doesn't have to capture 100% to feel its impact. It could capture 10 or 15 or 20 percent and it's huge it maybe put some people out of business and i'm not anxious for that but some taxi drivers have already seen that and others have seen it because it's not again oh when are we going to i'm giving up my car or, or i'm not or i'm going to buy my own driverless or whatever we can talk about that as you wish Ed. but but the idea is it's already my opinion now my answer directly the driver's vehicles are already here it's just a percentage that's moving. And some of you have been in them on driverless vehicles, on shuttles. That's very common now on universities and downtown areas and so on. They're driverless vehicles, shuttles. Sometimes they go very slowly. They stop, you get on, and it's a pretty easy thing because it doesn't go, you know, but straight a lot of times or maybe veers off a little bit on a few blocks. So they're already here. They exist in not only our personal automobiles, but of course, farming has driverless vehicles in the sense of, of doing farming work and planting and harvesting and so on. We have trucks. I remember in Denver, Colorado, that's where I am right now. Denver, Colorado, 
and people were amazed. This goes back three years. There was a Coors truck, Coors beer, and it was driving from two good-sized cities in Colorado, driverless. They showed a picture of the guy. They did have somebody on there in emergency, but he was sitting reading the newspaper uh, on it, and the truck's going, and it's carrying beer, pretty heavy product, uh, on this big semi-truck going down the road, and it went from two major cities, one major city to another major city. So it exists now. It's already happening. In Canada, it exists. So this is not a new concept. What's, what's developing is new technology to get to what we call stage five. There are different stages of development of the driverless vehicle. Some of, all of us have had things like cruise control in our cars where you can hit something and it, you know, it, it keeps it 70 miles or whatever it is, uh, uh, an hour. We have those kind of things. We have some warning lights that tell us you're, you're approaching somebody on your right or your left or that kind of thing. Those exist, but you get different levels from zero and you do 100% of the thing to different stages up. Well, four, stages four and five, as they're referred to in, in highway safety and all other kinds of studies, Four and five are the big ones. Four is like totally driverless, except in certain weather conditions. Some will define it that way. Five is it's totally driverless. They only have a steering wheel for you. So you get in and you can't control and, and, and it's taking you to your destination. And there's a book, Rut Bridges, wrote. we were talking before we got on here, chat about books. Uh, Rut Bridges, who's an interesting guy, wrote a book and he was saying, you know, buy mobility, don't buy steel. Don't buy the, that. What, what do I want? I want to get from my house to my business or the shopping center or whatever, conveniently, or maybe I'll go first, safely. I want to be safe. I want it convenient. I don't want it too expensive. I want all these certain basic things that we all seek. And if I can do that without a whole lot of cost, wow, why do I need to buy a car? Now, some people say, wait, don't take my car away. You know, I didn't say we take it away. You can own your own driverless vehicle or you can own your own car that isn't the driverless. And there's articles on that issue too. And are they gonna be not as good drivers and so on? But the point being that it is already here, is developing like crazy and who's developing it? which is another thing we can talk about if you want, uh, the companies, but where it's moving is fast. Apple, just to mention one company, it's been in our papers, probably yours. It's been on national news, international. Apple said, and when Apple speaks, you got to give a little credit. Come on. They're kind of a multi-trillion dollar, you know, they're big players. They've said they will have fully driverless vehicles by 2025. 2025 fully driverless? We already have again, but I mean, that's if Apple does it, fine. And I said for years, any company, I'm talking about auto companies, but tech companies too, and so on, but auto companies especially, I'm talking about manufacturers. If they're not in the game, they're dead. I mean, they'll be like Blockbuster, you know? Did you have Blockbuster in Canada where you rented a movie and yeah. you could take the movie home and so on? Where are they now? They're gone because they didn't stay with the technology and we have Netflix and other things that are out in Disney and doing things. 
So I'm saying every, every, no exception, the company wants to be in existence a few years from now, better be in, and they are, uh, the driverless vehicle. So where are we? We're, we're already in it. And where are we going fast to level five, level four, level five? We're moving fast. Maybe we won't have, a, if, oh, it's bad weather. I, I can't take a driverless because of the snow. Okay, maybe that'll take a little while longer. But remember what I said earlier, it only takes... 10, 15%, 20. You might have two cars in a family. A family might have three, whatever. They may say, you know what? Let's keep one and not buy any more, and we'll start using driverless. And that's where I see a lot of that happening on the personal side. Mm -hmm. But we have other things, and we could get off to whatever you want to on rapid transit and how that ties in and so on. But I'll, I'll leave it at that with a somewhat long answer. But we're already in driverless and it's moving fast to a higher level. Yeah, I, I, yeah, just, I read, just read, oh, sorry, we have a bit of an echo there. I don't know if that's on my end. Uh, I my, didn't hear any my, echo, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll just ignore it if it's on my end. Uh, I read an article uh, that was just put out where Walmart in Arkansas is actually using driverless vehicles with a company called Gaddick, uh, and they're running the same route over and over again, but it's on urban streets, uh, so it's driving through the city, and Arkansas actually gave them permission to remove the uh, safety operator. So a lot of these driverless vehicles right now that have that safety operator for just in case something goes wrong, this one route, and it's a pretty simple route, but it's, it's actually running without a safety operator right now. So that, that technology is, it's here and it's, it's coming fast. Uh, so I, I, th I think that that's a natural transition to get into some of the impacts that uh, that this could have. And I suppose before we even get to, to the impacts, do you see, do you see impacts coming if it's just that 10 to 20% of market share that these driverless vehicles start taking, or is there some catalyst where it needs to either be some government regulation? Uh, maybe it's just market forces in general, uh, or maybe it's, it's just uh, companies start adopting this more in a fleet mentality. So maybe a company like Google or Tesla comes out and, and deploys a million self-driving cars where Tesla owns them and no individual person owns them. So that's kind of a loaded question, but do you, do you see a catalyst needed before there's significant change or are we going to see significant change with just that 10 to 20% uh, market erosion? Oh, sorry. It's uh boy. I might've muted you for the, for the echo there. Uh, why can you unmute Mark? Uh, yeah, he's not muted. Uh, we're just having a mic problem. Okay. We're having a small mic problem at the moment. So, so Mark, we can't hear you. Um, do you have a, a mic that you're using? Do you mind just nodding up and up and down if you have a mic? Okay. So, um, Mark, we'll, we'll just, uh, kick you out and bring you back in. Okay. And just click the same link and we'll bring you back. All right. So just as uh, Mark's rejoining, uh, I I've been a big advocate of, of self-driving vehicles for a long time. I actually wrote an article about this in 2016 or so. And everybody at the time thought I was crazy. And I said to my wife that I, I don't think that my kids will actually drive vehicles. Uh, and I said, I said this back then, uh, I think that driverless vehicle technology is going to escalate at such a pace that my oldest son is now 11. 
uh, and my youngest is eight. Uh, the, the oldest perhaps will still drive, but I think my youngest son, uh, there's a good chance that driverless technology will be at a place where, where he doesn't need to drive. So I, I do think that it's, it's escalating quite quickly. And if you look at all the major companies that are investing considerable amounts of money into this technology, such as Tesla, Apple, Google, Waymo, Uber, all these companies are investing millions and millions, perhaps billions of dollars uh, into this type of infrastructure. Uh, so uh, there's, there's there's an appetite, an appetite for this technology to advance. Uh, so sorry about that, Mark. Uh, thanks for, for rejoining on that. Uh, my, my question, uh, does, does this technology need to have a catalyst happen in it? such as government regulation yeah. or big companies uh, developing fleet uh, or does that 10 to 20 percent market uh, ca uh, erosion does, is that enough to impact serious change well first Chad, you raise some great questions i mean great in the sense that uh, not only catalysts in general but the hurdles the hurdles by government issues because they say well, you can't have something if you read the the statutes in most places i'm talking about law whether in the united states i assume in canada everywhere you're going to see it says that one requirement is to have an eligible driver and so i say wait a minute. we got to change all that now there's not going to be a driver there so you have governmental regulational issues we have issues with regard to you mentioned kind of the the insurance industry whatever we uh, we have the private industry and what standards or requirements they will have because they don't want to have liability are we going you know so all these things are coming together but uh, as far as catalysts there are a lot of things doing but i have to say on the private side the catalyst is no offense money the catalyst is you know hey if if i can get ahead of this game we're not only going to stay in business but we may be the leaders and whether you're talking about uh, a manufacturer like a whatever it could be uh the tesla it could be volvo it could be uh, companies in and outside the united states uh, in and outside canada in and outside any uh china's moving fast uh, uh, there's so many on that so so we have catalysts from uh the private sector and manufacturers who want this business and can see capturing that just like uh, on the computer side which are the the leaders you know we think here in United States quite often of, of Apple and Dell and so forth on the computers. Well, we, we have the same issue. Then we have the techno, technological side, the tech companies, and every major tech company is addressing this in some fashion, whether they're manufacturers of chips or whether they're the, the Apples and the Googles, because you know Google has Waymo, go down the list. Each of those big tech companies Amazon, all of them, they've either got theirs or they've teamed up with somebody. And, and you have the drive the the driving cars delivering before with the Ubers and the Lyfts and other companies, but those are two big ones. And of course they were in it for a while. Uber then uh, sold, merged, whatever you want to say with Aurora. So each company that's in the game is either doing it or teaming up with somebody or they know they've got a problem of a market share so it's happening to answer your question i think chad and in many ways it's happening on the private side and it's happening with governments addressing it you're right when you mentioned uh you know different 
different states and how they're uh, addressing what they do. Arizona has been known for this already in California because they've done a lot, but now New York is very active in it. And, and the testing, when I say active, I'm talking about uh, permission to the company so that they can go forward and do this and the testing. And then there's the whole body of, of insurance people and everybody's saying, what do we do? We got to, we got to address this too. Cause here's the simple case. Chad and I jump in a car and we're going driverless to somewhere and it's in an accident. Now it's a driverless. So what do you mean driverless? You mean neither one of us were driving it, but somebody else was in the car with us? Oh no, somebody's not in there with us. Well then was somebody else in the company guiding the car? No, we're, we're past that stage. You know, it's all computer driven and so forth. Okay, then we have an accident which we hope never happens, but sometimes it does. And by the way, the accident and death rate is so amazingly dropped because of driverless, as you've, I'm sure, read. I mean, to the tune of we expect 90% drop in fatalities because of driverless cars, 90%. Okay, so here we are, and then there's an accident. And the question is, insurance companies, well, it can't be us because our insured didn't, isn't responding. Who's the insured? <laughs> well, Chad's insured and, and Mark Levine's insured, but they weren't driving it. Well, they're in it. Yeah, they hailed the cab. They called it on the phone. They did something, whatever. So we're not even sure who's liable. So the insurance people and the states have to address that. It's interesting, the implications to all that. If you don't have as many accidents and you won't, I mean, some Google and some of the others, different ones have driven a million, 10 million miles with almost no accidents. No accidents, that means no police for doing that. So all the police that were doing that in the governments now go another way, and that'll get us off to another question. But all these things, they all impact it, and they're all catalysts. So it's not one source or one position. But I think the, the economics are driving a huge part of it. And then everybody else has to jump on, like the government, like the insurance companies, like the attorneys, whatever, and have to say, Oh, if, if I was an accident attorney, which I'm not, I hate that idea, um, uh, you know, I, I don't have a job. Uh, go do something else. Go develop and be a contracts attorney or do something else or go into some other field because you're not going to have those accidents. I tell you a quick aside, and then I'll let you go forward with it. When you start thinking of the implications, I'll tell you one, and I say it because I missed this completely. I admit it. I didn't think about this. I've written a lot of articles, done a lot of research in this, and somebody said to me, well, how about um, implants? I said, what? How about implants? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Hospitals do implants. That's an important thing. If we don't have the accidents, we don't have as many of the deaths, and that's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But on the implant side, that's where X percent came from, from an accident that somebody unfortunately died, and then we did an implant. You know, and and now they don't have that to that level. I mean, if it drops 90 percent. So it's so interesting to think of all the implications. I'm thinking the implications to real estate. So that's where I concentrate. That's my out. I say, okay, come on, I'm not into that. I'm thinking real estate. But hospitals may not need as much for hospitals then. So it's it's very interesting that who is not affected is probably a better question than who's affected by the driverless vehicle.
Yeah, when you start looking at all the areas that could be displaced by this, you're right. That this could have a more profound impact on society than computers did, just solely based on the effect that hospitals, like you said, if there's less car accidents, there's less people going to the hospital, uh, insurance companies, uh, car mechanics, gas exactly. stations, auto body exactly. shops. Like there's there's a tremendous amount of ancillary effects that this could have that, that we're not even thinking. Uh, and and that's conversation I'm sure we could have uh, and spend an hour doing. But I, I really do want to get your insights into how it's all going to affect the real estate market. And I thought we could approach this from from looking at, at different asset classes. So I, uh, I I think that there's some overlap, like office and retail, uh, sure. parking lots and parkades. Uh, maybe that's a natural spot to, to enter into. But I do also want to get your thoughts on some of the industrial topics. And I had a great question come in uh, a little bit earlier. So I'll ask you that one after. And then if we have time, maybe even garages in, in a house, because I think that that could have a, a pretty big impact on just how the landscape of residential looks. But maybe first first topic is office, uh, downtown office buildings and shopping malls. What happens if, if it's driverless vehicles and we essentially don't need parking or, or dra dramatically reduce parking anyways? Well, yeah, you said a big part of it right there that we don't need that much parking. See, that's the whole theory with the driverless vehicle. And you hear the term zombie vehicle <laughs> that somebody takes to drops you off to the shopping center. So Chad gets in, goes to the shopping center. He's going to meet Wyatt down there and they're going to do something, have lunch, go shop, whatever it is. And then what happens to the car? I don't care. They drop me off. I just called. Now that's an interesting question. Is it your car or is it the, the structure? You know, is it an Apple car owned by Apple that's delivering you and me or whatever to that place? Whatever it is, we can take different scenarios, but the car goes away. Well, where does it go? Well, maybe it goes to pick up the next person. Well, then maybe we don't need as many. You know, and I know from studies that approximately 94 to 95% of a vehicle's time sits. That's the studies. So if I drive to work and I get out of the car and I leave it and I see it again at 8 o'clock or 5 o'clock or whenever I'm off of work, and then I drive it home. I go other places too, but but basically that's it. So what are we going to do with this 94%? Well, let's keep that car moving. Maybe that car can do like an airplane. You know, airplanes, they try to keep moving all the time. The airplane lands, they load it up, they got it all computerized and so on. The next one out, boom, the pilot's off in an hour or whatever time it's on the ground, a half hour, whatever, and get it moving. So I think that's what we're going to see. So then it gets back to your point on it, Chad. We, we don't need that parking then because, one, I'm not parking it because it's not my car. Or even if it's my car, I send it home because my wife or daughter or somebody needs it now. So I the car has gone. So it's not parking there. So what does that do to shopping centers and so on? It may do nothing in the sense of the shopping. It may do a lot but the because we have the distance buying and all that stuff and ordering. But forget that for a minute. I get out of the car, you get out of the car, we go inside, the car goes on its way. So maybe that same car can be used to pick up somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. And it, it's used 23 hours a day or something. And when it needs servicing, alarms go off, technology, and it goes into, and that's another thing, not the little repair shop that you and I might use for our cars now, but rather it goes to this big, huge building that processes 5,000 cars, I don't know. They come in and they change the tires and they do whatever. It may be electric, it may be 
combustible engine, whatever it is, but they make the, the, the need change and it's off just like the airplane. You know, you keep it moving, keep it moving. So that means when you and I go to the shopping center, it's a drop-off zone. It's like going to school, kiss them and say goodbye. It's a drop-off zone. We're not gonna, when, when we take our kids to school, any of us, what happens? We don't park the car and leave it there. We, we drop them off. So we, so we design it like we do the schools in the sense of a drop-off area. And we don't need uh, the same thing on the parking. Then, of course, it leads to, which we can get into as you wish, what happens to the parking area? How are we going to use it? But now we were just talking about the car. So the car drops off us, it goes. We may not own the car. We may have just called them on the phone again, picks us up and drops us off, and that's it. If people want to own their own car and do their own thing still, that will happen as the transitions. But eventually, what I mentioned with this fellow Rut Bridges and others have said, you know, did you figure out the cost? There have been studies on that, and it ties into in part the question, because who's saving here? Is the shopping center developer saving because they don't need the parking, they can use it for other things? Are you and I saving because now we don't have to own the car and pay for the insurance and the headaches and ordering and, and gas and oil and maintenance and all the things that we might need? So it has huge implications uh, to all of us in the design of, of uh, shopping centers, the design of other places where, it's, again, it's a drop-off. It's it just, you're not going to park the car. You go visit somebody in the hospital, usually there's a parking garage or something, and you park. I'm not the park. I go there, and when I need a car, because I'm going to leave, I call, and then 30 seconds, a minute later, the car's there. So it's tremendous changes in every area you can pick. I know you pick it, and I'll tell you what I think on some of them, but I don't think there are any that are not affected. And then we have the the counter positions of what we do with what we've been doing, like the parking. Yeah. So I, I think with retail, it probably makes sense that that parking lot uh, is adapted to be something more productive. So whether right. a, a shopping mall developer goes and develops a small apartment building on there, or perhaps they just have a smaller footprint for the mall and they sell off that excess land. I think that there's options that a developer would have there provided government doesn't get in the way and enforce setbacks or some of those antiquated laws uh, or bylaws that are still going to be in effect, which which could impede right. that. It probably goes to that point you made earlier about government needing to be uh, adaptive to this. One question right. that I think might be a little bit more complex, which I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, would be a, a parkade. So parkade at an office uh, tower that may be underground, it may be attached to the building. The sole purpose of that is is just parking. What happens with something more complex like a, like, like a a parkade yeah no that's that's a good question and and for some people they're gonna lose money in fact i after talking about this and studying the area i said one area i don't want to go into is parking i don't want to buy these uh, silos that bring the car up and park it 10 stories up and down and they spend a fortune to do it or even just a parking lot underground above ground whatever because i think there'll be a surplus i don't think we need nearly as much. Some cars will, and trucks and other things will need to stay for longer, but I, I certainly wouldn't be in this. Okay, so now your question. So what do we do with them? Well, the answer is many fold. I know of one deal, for example, one one um, Hertz rent-a-car, which of course Hertz got its own troubles before and went into bankruptcy and out, and that's another issue, but but it's important for, for the rental car business. Anyway, what happens to the, the Hertz 
building. I know one that he converted to condos, condominiums. They came in, made it into residential units and sold them off. And we can do that with some things. Some things don't fit the right way. Let's take, for example, in your shopping center itself, and it has underground parking. It's like a city under there, a tremendous amount of parking. What do you do? I've seen those already being developed into other uses that don't, they don't need the public's good views and, and, and niceties and the amenities that might be in some places, because maybe you, you rent it out to, no offense, but dog grooming or other uses or uh, uses that, that uh, store. I'll give you another one that's happened quite a bit, and maybe we do need it, distribution centers. We know that Amazon and lots of those have these centers and they want to get closer in because that means last mile is faster mile to deliver. So if, and this is all good for CCIMs and others to be thinking about these things. So you sit there and you say, wait a minute, if Amazon could come in and take whatever percent it is of that huge parking area and turn it into a distribution center, which, you know, they're trying to do a function. They're not worried about all the amenities. If it functions in the way that you need it, can you imagine you turn in some of these and Amazon saying, oh, and all these others, what a great location, the Walmart, others for distribution center, assemblies lots and fulfillment orders and whatever you want to call these centers. So I think that's a tremendous potential use for those. And what does it do for us as consumers and others? It gets the, the product to us probably faster because now instead of a warehouse that's 20 miles outside of the town, the city, it's right in the city now because we were taking a shopping center, which is one of the best located, theoretically, properties. And we're, we're using that and it's a great use. So the shopping center can lease it. They, you know, what kind of changes have to be made and what works in some places won't work, some will. But some of them, fulfillment centers, distribution centers. How about ghost kitchens? You know that on delivery of food that, that the McDonald's and many others are saying, wait a minute, we, we still, I just did an article on this with, with my daughter, who's an attorney too, and, and you sit there and say, McDonald's, does it really need that corner location? It did when it was getting 95% of its business by walk-up and people came in, but now it's drive-through and or even more so delivery. Well, if it's delivery, I don't care where McDonald's, I just care how fast can they get it to me if I make an order, and the same with any restaurant. So ghost kitchens are being set up and other kitchens. So there it is again. On the shopping center, maybe we can use some of that space for kitchens and producing uh, the meals and then the delivery starts and then we bring in the driverless vehicles that are now delivering food right now, driverless. So there's tremendous opportunity for those spaces. You just have to think about it and see what works. But I have to believe, and, and I'm sure there are far ahead of me, but the Amazon type company, and that's the big player, to sit there and say, wow, that's kind of mouth-watering for them. I could get a location in the heart of a city for the distribution center uh, or, you know, a fantastic location in the suburbs or something because they've got a great shopping center there and they're not using that parking. It's underground or whatever it is. So I think the above surf, the surface stuff, that's great. We can sell that off. We can do what you said and make apartments. We can do a lot of things. But underground on some of those others, there's a real opportunity for some of those. And I'll bet you right now Amazon's way ahead of me 
and and it probably buying them right now. So you know, I just know that there are many uses. Yeah, that's so fascinating. As you start talking about that, my, my mind just start percolating with right. all these other potential ideas on it. So I find it so fascinating to even just do that thought exercise. It leads me into a question specific to industrial real estate. And it came in by uh, a guy named Saul. Uh, and just before I, I read that to you, I do want to open it up to anyone that has questions as well. Uh, so if you have questions, uh, please just uh, type it in the chat bar. Uh, and uh, provided there are some questions, we'll try to answer as many as we can. Uh, if not, I'll ask you this question on industrial. And then maybe we can talk about uh, uh, garages and houses after that. Uh, but this question came in from Saul. And I, I thought this was just such a fantastic question. Uh, how will automated trucks impact the importance of certain locations for warehouses? That is a great question. And we can even make it broader because we're really saying how are automated vehicles impacting, I say three areas, I divide it that way, you know, the business side, which your question relates to that, uh, but it also on the personal side and then uh, kind of the miscellaneous recreational and so on, because I can, and I'll go right back to your question, but on the commercial side, if you will, but on the personal side, um, I can live further away. You say, why, you want to commute? Not really, but we have, and I just, again, we just did an article on this talking about two things, driverless vehicles, whichever type, commercial, residential, you know, for personal or business use, but also COVID because now we're working more from home. So the combination of working more from home or at least not in the main office and the driverless vehicles really brings this into focus. So my home could be further. Likewise, the back to the question, the, the uh, office side or the industrial building or whatever is impacted as well because maybe we don't have to be where we thought we had to be. I was using that same point with the McDonald's, but you could think of, and the ghost kitchens and so on, but you could think of the same thing uh, in many settings. Why do I have to go into the office there? Why on, if we have distribution centers, maybe we won't use the same approach. If we got, if we gain with these distribution centers, maybe we we some of those warehouses won't be needed or be needed as much for that purpose, but for another purpose. I'm talking about warehouses further out because now that warehouse might transfer a lot of the function uh, to the inner city or inner side because of these conversions from the shopping centers with all that potential of a distribution center or assemblage and so on fulfillment centers. So you have all of that. So the combination of doing those things, uh, because we have, and again, I'm put the two together, that we're talking about driverless vehicles, but when you do that coupled with, I don't care if it's uh, COVID-19, the AB strains, the Delta, you're going to Omicron, whatever we're talking about, if that's with us, and we're gonna see more working elsewhere, meaning out of the main office, and especially with technology we have, then all the more so people can locate differently. We as real estate people, Chad, you with your background, you know, you're sitting there saying, well, things that we thought we really needed, this specific, specific location, maybe we don't need as much, or maybe this location over here is better. That means that some people for their home, switching back and forth to our discussion, might say, I wouldn't have thought about locating in this little community it's a great place and the kids, it's wonderful for them and the schools are good and so on. But I didn't want to drive that extra 
X amount, 20 minutes, half hour. But if I can be in a driverless when I do have to go in and I can keep taking emails and doing work and all that stuff, I don't lose that half hour. And I don't mind doing that. Plus, I'm not going to be coming in as much because of COVID and the other things. Likewise, if we say that on the commercial side, we are doing so much more differently, like with technology, like you and I right now talking on this. Uh, I started an executive master's program uh, in our program at university for real estate some 21 years ago. And they thought, what distance learning on that and so on. And we did that. Now it's, it's a common thing. Uh, but we have more technology that, so we can sit here on whatever platform, Zoom or anything, and, and talk and do things. So I think we're going to see major changes in the industrial, the, the commercial, if I will, generically side, as well as the personal side, because of the driverless vehicle. And hopefully it makes it that much better, what better in the sense of our time. What, what we can't get more of is our time. We can do things better and aid it. But time is the key. And if we can do that, which I think we can with driverless vehicles in many areas, that's fantastic. Just like technology, we, we get on the Zoom call, then I don't have to fly in or do something. It's the same idea. So I think it'll continue to develop. And I think uh, warehouses, other things may, I don't think they go out of existence. They just may change some of the uses. First mile, last mile is still a problem. We got to deliver things. So maybe some of these which weren't warehouses will become like warehouses, as I was mentioning with the shopping center. And then, you know, I call for something and it's there. I mean, it's so fast, which by the way, is one of the issues too. How fast can we get you and me and anyone else to a location? Well, if I call and the car is there literally in 30 seconds, 45 seconds, because it's all technology and it's boom, they're in the area, they're driving on boom, they pull up. Are you sure I need a car? Are you sure I need trucks for my company and so on? I need them, but maybe not as many. Yeah, yeah, that, that's profound. And, and anecdotally, I, I will be an early adopter of driverless vehicles. I, I could see going down to one family vehicle pretty pretty quickly and, and incorporating driverless technology as it, that emerges. Uh, so I, I will be right there. I, but it leads to a follow-up question on that is, how, how does someone stay on top of this rapidly advancing Techno technology like it's instead of being reactive like you're you're clearly proactive reading five to ten articles a day uh and and absorbing this and, and synthesizing and thinking critically about it uh, but you're you're outside what the average layman is doing they're probably going to be more reactive to this for somebody whether it's a professional or a property owner or an investor how do you recommend that somebody tries to be uh, proactive and stay on top of this well, a, a few things, and I'm not selling it so I can say that. You know, I have a blog. It's all free. Uh, in fact, you can mention at the end whatever you want. Uh, and just things coming out that way. It's not limited to driverless. I do it on tax and real estate and other things. But I think you got to pick your area. So if you're in commercial real estate, and if you're in commercial real estate in shopping centers or commercial real estate in apartment, whatever it is, then you want focus on those and you start learning which ones are putting those out. There are, there are a tremendous number of, of sources out there and, and, and some of those are easily available by doing a, a search with uh, Google or whatever you want to search on. But there are a number of, of 
resources, the CCIMs, the SIR, you know, there are lots of groups that are out there and commercial, unresidential, and so forth. And I think we'll see a lot more programs that way and a lot more material coming out on a regular basis. But you're right, it's too much. We, I mean, okay, we can't get all these articles and say, oh man, another one, another one, you know. So you have to have some synthesis. You have to have some sorting mechanism that brings it into focus. And when you learn about those, as you start looking at some of them I've said, and you say, oh, these three are the ones that really concentrate on, on what we do for changes in, in architectural planning and so on for shopping centers or apartments or so on. Um, there are some that affect with governments because governments have to stop and say, oh my gosh, we're going to lose all this revenue and we better stay up on it because we're not going to get the parking meter revenue that we had before. We're not going to get ticket revenue. That's a bad thing to say, but uh, the policeman gives a, a ticket uh, to somebody and that's revenue that coming. We're not going to have that. Why? Because the driver of this vehicle is, is going to obey the rules. It's programmed to do that. You'll have some, but not nearly what we've been talking. So I think that there are a number of sources out, as I mentioned a few quickly, and uh, we do some articles and other things, which are all free. And as I mentioned, this blog, that gives you a lot of that. And that's just some, you, set, you sign up for it and, and you get those. And most of them, that's not me, that's not, oh, this one, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a residential builder and I'm thinking that I mentioned to the students a fantastic area, I think, is to take all those garages uh, I mentioned to you, you know, and, and convert them. What do you mean? Well, I don't mean religiously, you know, convert them to <laughs> some other use. Say, I've got a three car garage, you say, and I only need one if I keep that car or for storage or so on. And again, I probably won't buy a car, a driverless vehicle, because why spend that money when I can, if, if the system works like we're talking about? easily and it, it functions to convenience, safety, you know, all the rest. But somebody's gonna turn those garages in. So maybe a construction company in that niche. So you start getting ideas of what you might do in your business, each of us, I say you, any of us, and say, wow, maybe I'll really learn how to turn these garages into certain things. And, and you said, if we had time, and I'll be doing that when I'm up in Canada, talking about, here, let me give you, I give you 20 graphics and pictures to show what, what different things have been turned into, which not hard to figure out. I mean, it might be, it might be an accessory room. It might be another bedroom. It might be an office and things just on your house. So it's, everybody's got to be thinking about that, but somebody's going to do some of that business. I might be a specialist in that area and people get to know me. And now I'm the one going around and, and, you know, I got it down pretty pat and I know what I need to do on these garages and so on, that kind of thing. So I think the same is true in a lot of other areas. People might be, become the specialist in converting whatever you want to say it is that they're converting. Think of it. Government. They're sitting there saying, you know, we got these parking meters up and down the streets. Nobody's going to park there anymore or very few. So maybe what I'll do is I will figure out how we might do that, get government contracts and convert those. And, and I've seen them from different things, from more restaurants that come out a little further. How about green areas and so on? Maybe, maybe, why do we have cars driving through these other areas? Maybe we don't need it now with the driverless. Maybe we're not going to park right there. 
maybe we're going to miniature golf. I don't know. You, there's lots of uses. And everybody's going to be adjusting their fields, I think, a little bit. But there's some wonderful opportunities if you think about it. Wonderful. Yeah, there, there really is. And maybe that's a, a good spot to try and turn over and see if we have uh, any questions. Uh, okay. Wyatt, have any questions popped in? Just one moment. Well, don't make them too hard on me now. <laughs> I've got one more. If uh, okay. if if I, I, I get I get them all I get them all the time from from student. There's one. Uh, if everyone you want me to read that, and if, if everyone is using driverless vehicles and accidents go down by ninety percent, do you think this will allow an increased speed limits on the highways? Absolutely. I think there'll be an increase in speed limits. And also, there's, uh, there's what they call car-to-car. -car. There's talking. The technology is such that the vehicles can talk to each other and be in a closer uh, range because, they're again, they react faster than you and I react. So I think with speed limits, I think with regard to the closeness of vehicles and moving, I don't mean to say they're perfect. They're not. There'll be some accidents. And... And I'm surprised nobody's worried about that or said anything yet on safety. And we could talk about that, too. But but absolutely, I think we'll see lots of changes. In fact, there's been some speculation, kind of this same issue. Why do we need stoplights? Now, if you and I are still driving, I guess we need them. But otherwise, the, the, the cars are programmed to avoid each other. So I don't mean 100% of stoplights out, but there may be many situations that we're not worried about it because the cars can adjust to each other and they speak to each other. There's some great Israeli firms. I know I was over there doing a program on this uh, and they talk to each other and they're designed and their uh, communication to each other. Right now they're communicating uh, in part with each other in, in uh, New York and in, in Israel, a lot of places they're, they're, they're working on that, how much the cars, communicate to each other, which can help to keep things safe. So yes, on the speed, but I think it's a lot more than that. Hmm. Thanks, uh, Neil, for the question on that. Uh, if there are another question, I'll, I'll ask one uh, in the meantime, and Wyatt, if, if another question comes in, just maybe uh, pop it on the screen. But I, I, I want to get your thoughts on the safety one, and, and the, the well-known one is the trolley problem. How how is these technology companies going to address the ethical dilemma and the trolley problem for for those that don't know is if if a car is on a runaway track and if it goes straight it could kill five people and if it turns left it could kill one person so the moral dilemma is what does that person do how does how do the technology companies address that ethical problem. <laughs> First, it's a great question. My daughter, Libby, uh, who is a professor and, and also uh, in this area, has a class that she's teaching on this. And also we've taught together, uh, but, but uh, she raises that because she's teaching in, in the legal and ethics area. So the ethical question you raise is a great one. And it's been raised many times because it's a concern and we don't know the answer candidly, because again, you're right, you're going down the street and, and a child steps out. Well, you don't want to hit the child or the 
So the car swerves because it's programmed to avoid that. But if it swerves, it goes into five other people and they could die. Or if it doesn't to swerve to the right, it swerves to the left, nobody's there. And we don't hit the child, we don't hit the other five, but it's a wall. That means I'm going to die, arguably, in the car if it's moving. I may not, but the point is I could be severely injured. So those, and I didn't do it. The child steps out. So why should I die is the argument, you know? And why should some of these other people, the child step, well, the child doesn't know. Well, the parents were right. It's a terrible dilemma. Uh, There have been many discussions on ethical points and articles written on that. Again, you talk about many articles. There have been lots of articles on, okay, you program it. Well, who's programming? The programmer. Well, the programmer liable then? because he or she programmed it to swerve to the left and to the wall, so I'm mad. Or if it swerves or doesn't swerve, or who's who's going to live and who's going to be hurt and who's not, and so on. There is not, to my knowledge, an answer to that. There, there have been people speculating different ways to say, well, um, we can do the following, but there's always a downside, just like I've already illustrated. And, and we could spend, and we have done seminars on that issue, not just that, but other ethical issues on it. Again, who's supposed to program? Who's supposed to oversee it? At what point do we do we make these changes? What if it's a dog that went out? Well, hit the dog. We're not going to risk people's lives. You know, I don't want to kill a little dog. No, you don't want to kill anybody but or injure. But we don't have some answers for some of those. We don't have the same problem today because we don't have the split-second ability to do some of the things that the technology will let us do with the vehicle driven by the car, the, the automation. So today, you know, we just react, oh my gosh, it jumped out and I swerved and I swerved to the left and I hit the wall. I swerved here. I didn't mean to, I just had to do something. I didn't want to hit the child. Mm-hmm. So uh, we haven't been faced with some of these uh, and you raise a good question and it pops up insurance again. Well, wait a minute. Insurance says you programmed that way. Why should we be liable? under the insurance policy. If you had programmed it other ways, we wouldn't have to be paying for our insured. So there, the answer to my knowledge is we don't know yet. We, there are lots of unanswered questions. We hope there won't, there clearly won't be by all the studies, everything that's happened, the tests running for a million miles and almost no accidents. So we know the accidents will drop, but we still are plagued with the dilemma that you just raised which is there are some situations that are going to be very tough and we don't have all the answers. It's like the same issue about, not the same point, but the idea of transition. What if somebody is in an accident and you say, okay, uh, where do these organs go for transplant? You have to make those kind of decisions. There's some tough decisions out there. And this is one of the tough ones in the uh, driverless vehicle. Okay. Um, question from Drew. Uh, what does the transition look like in your eyes, Mark? Well, the transition, again, is already happening. We're not seeing too many people buy driverless vehicles because they're not really available to buy. We have the Teslas uh, and other cars that, that people have certain things and they, they have some driverless features and, and they say totally not really yet and those kind of things. But it's happening. Uh, and so as it happens, um, we are going to have additional questions and additional reactions uh, to it. I, I think, again, it's happening. So already, we're, I've asked drivers, I told you, one of my favorite questions, mm-hmm. the taxi drivers, to ask them, you know, 
how long is it going to take to get these things that they drive themselves? You know, I just like to hear their answers, the taxi drivers. So sometimes they'll say, you know, it's already hurt my business. I used to drive to the airport with people. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing that now because we, we have a system. We already have some driverless. Or in cities like New York City and other places, there are cars driverless all over the world that are out there now. So it's happening. So you say, what are you going to do? I asked the taxi driver. Well, I got to get out of this business. But who wants to buy my business now? Nobody. So right now I'm just taking the hit with lesser amount of income and trying to do other things. And I, I don't think we know in some areas where some people are going to go, yes, they got to transition. Maybe governments will help people transition because you're saying, well, you're going to be out of a job. How about all those police that are now out of a job that did 80% of their time on traffic stuff? They've got to be transitioned to another function in the police department, or maybe they'll go over to some other area. Maybe they'll become firemen or maybe they'll become accountants or whatever. So I think governments have to help on some of that uh, and, and other organizations. Right now we have a shortage of, of people. So maybe that's, I'm talking about employment wise. So maybe, maybe companies will set up training because they need employees to do. I don't know, but we do know that's a problem. Yeah, Drew asked a, a follow-up on that as well. Uh, do we go driverless semis, then taxis, then personal vehicles? Is that how you see that rolling out too? Well, I see that it's happening in all of the areas right now. We have, uh, people are not buying personal vehicles and I don't expect, if they're smart, I, I don't mean that demeaning, most people won't buy them because again, I mentioned this Rut Bridges and his point, and I think that has merit, that why do I need to buy the car? But some will buy it, but most won't. Okay, so that's happening. They, there's no question on the, the trucks because first of all, we have a shortage of drivers right now and truck drivers, as you probably know. But even if we didn't have that, we're starting to see it. Remember, for those of us been around like me, uh, used to go in a building and there was the elevator operator and some of kids and younger people say, what, you know, to take you on the elevator up to the 10th floor. Well, why did you need a driver? I mean, there was a person who sat there all day and took you up. There was a hotel operator, right? Somebody who operated the switchboard and did that. They're gone. Likewise, some of these things will be gone. And so we'll see it in uh, truck drivers, but we need more drivers. So that may be great. The taxi drivers, I, I think, are already being hit. So I, I don't see it as, let's do it this way to answer the question. And then we're going to do the trucks. And then we're going to do this. And then, and then personal. I think it's happening altogether. And it will continue to happen altogether, I think. And I, I don't expect that um, unless there's a big breakthrough technologically speaking, quickly, I don't think we're going to see it change. I think it'll all be developing at the same time. We're just rounding up on an hour and uh, I, I took you longer than I, than I already wanted to, but real quick, Wyatt, don't cut me off quite yet. One question asking you to uh, look into the, into the crystal ball, into the future, knowing that it's purely a guess. When do you see the last vehicle that's actually driven by a person on the road? Okay, that's an easy question. Never. Never. Okay. Uh, well, I, I think uh, that'll be assuring I, to a lot of people, actually. Right, right. I, I think that uh, some people will continue to 
operate theirs and maybe in some rural area or other things we won't have that issue so i think that that uh there'll be some now if you say when will it effectively be totally drivers and let me just add one i have no answer for it but do you think that the pressure will be so great not to drive your own vehicle because your insurance will be higher because your rates you're not as good a driver as that automated car mm -hmm. you me we're not as good so there may be enough pressure that way and so on that we'll see it. But keep in mind, and it's already happening, do you know that the, that the applications for uh, your license, for a driver's license, are going down in many areas? They're, they're, not, they're not getting them because some people say, why would I drive? Mm -hmm. I mean, why do I need a license to drive a car? I'm not going to drive a car. I don't have a license for a truck. I don't, I don't drive a semi-truck. I don't drive a motorcycle, they say. I don't, why don't, maybe I won't drive that. So it's already happening, but I think there'll always be in my lifetime and yours and, and probably for a long, long time, maybe ever, there'll be some people that will drive. But overall, it's happening. How fast is the question? And it's, let me end with this quick statement. It's a, very interesting. There was a study done on auto execs, high up people in the executive branches of the exec side of these companies, the auto manufacturing companies. They said, they asked him about driverless vehicles. Excuse me. What do, you, what do you think about this? This was in 2015. Not that far ago. Not long ago. Six, seven. Okay. And they, and, and they showed uh, very likely to happen or pretty likely something like that. The labels. 12%. In fact, very likely it happened was 3%. Almost like, are you nuts? It's not going to happen. They're bugging me and I'm going to tell them that I'll be there eventually. Um, sorry. So what I... What I thought was interesting is they did this study one year later, one year later, and it went up like 70%. Wow. In other words, the, they started waking up and said, oh my gosh, we better get in this. Or we're gonna, that was 2016. And this was done by an accounting group, a big group. So the, the point remains that it's happening so fast. Look at that one year difference. These auto execs, they're supposed to know it before you and I know it. And they think, nah, it's not. And then one year later, they say, oh my gosh, we missed it. We better get on it and get on it fast. So it's here. So with that in mind, uh, any questions or things people want to send me, I'm happy to have. And I appreciate uh, the, the, the time to be with you, Chad. You do a great job. And I look forward to seeing you personally when I get up there to Canada. I will absolutely be in attendance and, and I really do value your time uh, and insights on that. So thanks again so much, Mark. I'll leave a link to your blog, which is an excellent blog as well. I encourage people to go check it out. I'll put a link in the they description. They can sign up for free if they want. Sign up for free. It's a good price. That's right. All okay. right. Take well, care. Thanks again so much, Mark. Have a great day. Thanks.